It had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. Hello, romantics. Welcome to It Pod to Be You, the talk film society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mathur. In each episode, I'll be chatting with a guest about romantic comedies from classics to modern hits. My guest today is PJ Campbell. How's it going? I'm great, man. Uh, it's good to be back. I, I haven't gotten to be on the podcast proper yet. I got to do a commentary with you and our mutual friend, Maxwell Haddad, about yeah. Hitch, which was absolutely wonderful. So I'm glad to be back. Yeah, no, I mean, that was uh, that was a really fun fun commentary we did. I'm glad that we got to connect there, and I'm glad you're on the podcast now. Uh, I, yeah, I've been been wanting to have you for a while, and then when I came up with this, uh, with the theme of this episode, I was like, who better than PJ? Because I know you're a big rom-com guy, and... Uh, I yeah. am, man. <laughs> I am, and it's funny because, you know, Maxwell and I work together um, on my network over on YouTube, which is the PJ Campbell Network, and we've been talking about trying to get you on over there, too, so it's definitely been like a two-way street of, we need to, we want to keep working with you, we like hanging out with you, we like yeah, talking with yeah. you. Oh, definitely, and- yeah, same here, yeah, yeah, I mean, Maxwell's the best, as you know, and you're oh, obviously yeah. the best, so I'm glad. Um, well, so this episode... Um, we're going to be talking about uh, Gary Marshall because uh, we're recording this in July 2020. His uh, death anniversary is coming up in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, um, Gary Marshall ended his career with a sort of unofficial trilogy of these, like, holiday-themed romantic comedies or, like, dramedies. Um, there was Valentine's Day in 2010, uh, New Year's Eve in 2011, and then finally his last movie, uh, Mother's Day in 2016. And, um, you know, Gary Marshall, uh, he was, like, one of the uh, more, like, prominent voices in, like, romantic comedies, you know, the 80s and 90s. You know, he, of course, did Pretty Woman, which I talked about on the podcast a few episodes ago, and um, Beaches, Princess Diaries, One of Your Bride, you know, he's been, yep. he's been doing a lot of classic movies that a lot of people love. And, you know, he was also kind of um, prolific in the television world um, in the, like, in the, like, 70s. You know, he worked on Dick Van Dyke's show, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley with his sister Penny Marshall, Mork and Mindy, of course. So he's a pretty important guy. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, like, his – he works so much in film for our generation. And that's where so much of our generation knows him from. But my parents are both older, and so I grew up watching a lot of – older television and things like that and you know he did create happy days he created the odd couple and the tv version like he did the dick van dyke show gomer pile like he had done all sorts of things yeah uh, that you know were huge for television back in the day and like really left a mark because you know happy days alone had mork and mindy laverne and shirley and you know Joni and chachi like all those spinoffs and launched the careers of people like ron howard uh, I mean, Ron Howard was known for Andy Griffith, but like Happy Days really kind of put him back on the map before he yeah. would become a filmmaker. 
and things like that. And it gave Penny a voice to become what she would become because she would be a filmmaker too. And he, he was really, really cool. And it's, what's funny is you and I never talked about it. Um, really before we did this is that before I lived in Arizona, which is where I live now, um, because I could afford to buy a house here versus in California, which is where I'm from. Um, I lived in Burbank for four years, right down the street from the Gary Marshall theater, which was, which was the play, like a little playhouse that was across from the Bob's big boy in Burbank. So if you know that area by Warner brothers, there's a theater named after him there. That's incredible. I had no idea. Yeah. So <laughs> it's pretty cool. And that it just, it kind of brought all of this full circle in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, he's one of those guys that I think are just like, you know, he's, um, I think he's like a, a name guy. I think like a lot of people, like he's a kind of a household name. I think people just associate him, you know, with, you know, these like, I think like very popular, very like, entertaining like his movies are kind of always playing on tv especially like pretty woman and princess diaries i feel like they're always on yeah and um i mean even the, the sequel princess diaries 2 royal engagement i mean i'm sure I, I think it's a pretty good you know it's a cute movie it has its fans so he's like had a really is like long career with very popular stuff and i think it's like so fascinating that the last three movies he made like was this like weird trilogy of like I mean, essentially, love actually knockoffs. <laughs> uh, that's exactly what it is. It was our American yeah. love actually knockoff. It, it was something I was thinking about as I was revisiting them, the, like the last couple of days. Was that's what we were trying to do? We were trying to make our version of love actually with the like big game stars, where maybe necessarily the characters aren't fully developed, but you really rely on the star power and yeah. how likable that these people were yeah. to you to really sell it. Yeah. I mean, this like, um, you know, as I was, uh, like kind of going through these movies on, you know, IMDb, it's just like, before I watched them, I was like, wow, like so many people in this movie, like they have so many like connections to each other from like different movies they've been in together. And it's just yeah. like, he really got, I mean, the things like that's, you know, that's like, people want to be in like a Gary Marshall movie, right? Like we talk about that with people like, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson and, you know, uh, uh, David Fincher, Nolan, even like Woody Allen, like people just want to be in that brand. And I think that it's Scorsese as well. Like I think Gary Marshall is kind of like that because like, you know, he's a pretty woman, I think is like sort of the prototype of the like nineties romantic comedy. You know, it's like, you know, it was one of the first ones of, of the decade and it just like, it's became instantly iconic. So, I think it's no surprise that he can get all these like big names and have people who are like different like levels of stardom kind of working together and yeah, I mean it works pretty well. Um, so I I watched all three of them, you know, over the last couple of days, and I think you were saying you only watched um, New Year's Eve and Valentine's Day. I got to two. I've seen all three of them. Yeah. For the uh, this was the first time I'd revisited Valentine's Day and. Um, New Year's Eve, probably since they were in theaters or at least on DVD for the first time. So, you know, about 10 years for both of them. Oh, wow. And I, I, I've seen most of Mother's Day like in pieces. I've never seen it all the way through. Yeah. Um, 
just one of those ones that I never quite caught. But, you know, as we're sitting here talking about this real quick, to your point with this 90s comedy, he also closed out the 80s when you look at Beaches and Overboard. Yeah. You know, and, like really he swung it back into, hey, we can do this again because Overboard – obviously was just remade a couple years ago and is still very beloved amongst a lot of film fans and things like that because you know Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell, who doesn't love them. And the more you look at his filmography, the more you realize all these people he worked with, almost a good portion of them he found ways in these last three movies that he made to yeah. find a way to incorporate them. Right. Yeah, I mean oh that's uh, yeah, it's definitely true. Um yeah, I, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, and I think like he's. I mean, I you know, of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like he's always kind of had like a good reputation with people he's worked yeah. with. Like he seems like everyone kind of loves him and loves being around him. Like I still can remember like an interview that uh, Jennifer Garner did promoting Valentine's Day. Like she spoke so highly of him, and um, you know, she's one of those people that like. I kind of trust her judgment. Even I mean, I don't know her personally, obviously, but like, she she seems like you know, like someone. She's always been honest. Yeah, she's always been very honest and authentic. So, um, yeah. Well, why don't we start with um, Mother's Day because you know, a it's like not not really a true romantic comedy, and uh, there's really not much to say about it. But from what do you remember? Like, what were your thoughts on it? Um. I, I remember this one obviously kind of being my least favorite because, again, to your point, it wasn't really the romantic comedy that we'd kind of come to know these movies and what he was really known for. And that's not like a dig or anything because Gary Marshall, not again, back to his television days, not everything he did was romantic or anything like that. You know, like that wasn't always his thing. He was always a very character driven, you know, relationship driven type of guy. But this one has always been maybe not my favorite because it just didn't hit the way that I wanted it to for me. Yeah. Um, I, I, and that's not because I don't have, I have a great relationship with my mom. And so the movie doesn't hit me in a way where I'm like, man, I need to reconnect almost, you know, like sometimes a movie like this, it's like you see some of that flaw in yourself almost reflected back. And that's when you're like, Oh man, I need to, I need to make things right. Yeah, And I never felt like I had that with this movie. And I like the cast quite a bit. Uh, to your point, Jennifer Garner comes back in this one. Jason Sudeikis is quite good in it. Timothy Oliphant is in it. Um, Sarah Chalk from Scrubs. I'm a huge Scrubs fan, so it's fun seeing her in it as well. But it was never one that I ever really went back to. Um, yeah. And even to the point, Kate Hudson is in this, who, of course, is the daughter of, Kurt, of Goldie Hawn. Right. So uh, keeping it in the family of that they had worked together before and – I want to say there's only one person in this one. I'm looking at the cast list again as we're talking about it. Yeah, uh, Hector Elizondo. Elizondo? I can never say his name correctly. I think he is the only one who is in all three of these movies. Yeah. And he's a different character yeah. than all of them. Yeah, I was um, yeah, I was thinking about that today watching Mother's Day uh, because I was like, there's got to be like one person who's in all of them. And I think that like – most people are just in kind of like two at the mm-hmm. most, you know, Julia Roberts, you know, is in, is in two of them and Jen Garner. Um, yeah. Jennifer Garner is in two of them. But I think, I mean, this one, like it also seems like the least connected to those two because like it comes out like a way later, you know, like five yes. years later. 
and like I could understand if they made the third one like in 2012, and then it's like you know then that'd be like a more like neat trilogy. But because this comes so much later, and as you know, to your point, like um, like no one else except for Julia Roberts and Hector Elizondo are in the other ones either. There's like oh, and Jennifer Garner, but even that's just like kind of a quick cameo. I think that like um, yeah, the, yeah, this one didn't land for me like the other two did, and I think. It's partially because, like, it's very long. You know, it's two hours yeah. long. And, um, but there aren't as many characters as the other ones either. So it's just kind of like three main stories that are just kind of um, bouncing around. But they, there's really no, like, uh, art to it. Like, I actually found this movie to be very erratically edited and, like, poorly paced because there'd be, like, something extreme happening and then it would kind of, like, cut to, like, something silly. Like, there's a scene where, I don't know if you remember this, but, like, Jennifer Aniston's, like, son has, like, an asthma attack, has to be taken to the hospital, and then it cuts right to, like, Jason Sudeikis rapping. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think that, like, you know, I don't I don't think the other two movies, like, did kind of weird cuts like that. And No. Um, yeah. A lot of the cuts in those movies, and we'll kind of talk about it, of course, yeah. as we keep moving forward, is, like, there's a lot it, it always makes sense because the characters usually cut within each other like you know one character will go one direction or something and another character kind of takes over the focal point of the scene yeah. or whatever like it always felt really really thought out mother's day definitely doesn't have that and this is one of the few times that i mean i'm sure i could find more if i really looked but richard roper gave this film zero stars oh wow <laughs> which is like a, a unmitigated disaster in so yeah. many ways when you think about that because I'm I'm usually the world's most optimistic person when it comes to movies. It's something that uh, my online persona has really become known for. Mm-hmm. But man, like this is one of those times where even I was like, even not seeing it all the way through, but in pieces, it was like, man, this movie is just so drawn out, not really great, really kind of all over the place. And what's funny is it's the same length as New Year's Eve and shorter than Valentine's Day. But from what I remember, it always felt the longest. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I agree. Like, I was watching this, like, while, like, working at my day job. Um, and just, like, I, so, you know, like, you know, sometimes, like, towards the end of the week, like, in the afternoon, I'm like, okay, I'll just put a movie on while I'm working just to, like, help the time go by faster. <laughs> and I was like, this movie is not helping that at all. And I think part of the reason is that, like, there's really not much connection between, like, our four main, like, women characters. I mean, like, they are, like, they do have those, like, relationships. And Jason Sudeikis, too, but, like, uh, but you hardly see, like, them interact with each other, which I feel like in the other two, like, there's a lot of, like, going back and forth. There's a lot of, like, connection there between them. Like, we see a lot of scenes of, like, people interacting with, like, other characters from the other kind of subplots. Yeah, so, all the characters actually feel like they live in the same world, which is something that I feel like this movie doesn't necessarily yeah. have as well. And what's also interesting is we really haven't talked about it is that each one of these movies takes place in a different city. And if this one takes place in Atlanta, and you and I had kind of talked about it a little bit earlier off mic uh, in just like we'll talk about it when we get to New Year's Eve. But like New Year's Eve feels like it's set in New York, right? Like you can feel the city. You can yeah. feel the vibe of the city. Um, you obviously you live there. I'm out there very frequently uh, visiting our friends and things like that. So uh, we both know what that city feels like. I lived in Los Angeles and Valentine's Day has the L.A. vibe, but not, you know, not as much like it definitely features some of the iconic places that you might see. But it doesn't necessarily 
always feel LA. Right. This one doesn't feel like Atlanta at all. No, <laughs> it's 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 funny because like. Um, there's a scene when, okay, I, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but, like, I can always tell when, like, a group of writers is from L.A. versus New York, whether if they mention Disney yes. World or Disneyland. Yes. Uh, because in this movie, like, I think there's a scene where Jennifer Anderson's like, oh, why can't, like, my ex-husband take the kids to Disneyland? Disneyland? And I'm like, girl, you're in you're in Georgia. Like, why, like, why is Disneyland the reference, not Disney? You know what I mean? Like, it's such a minor yeah, thing, but, like... I can always tell if if they're if they're LA writers or New York writers because of like which one they and it's always usually they're LA guys and I'm just, I think these writers are probably from LA I don't remember but I was like okay well and I feel like was it even shot in Atlanta I mean I know Georgia is like very like good with tax tax yeah like tax it was. breaks there it but as it was shot over there it just doesn't feel like it like nothing about it feels particularly southern or except for like the sort of southern stereotypes with Margot Mottendale's character. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, man. It's just a strange thing because I think that that, at least for me, and again, we'll kind of talk about it, like the identity of the place is kind of important to the movies, as weird yeah. as that might sound. And this movie doesn't have it. And the other thing which is interesting that I kind of wanted to say is that outside of this also being Gary Marshall's last movie, this ended up being Penny Marshall's last movie also because she narrates the film. Oh, that's oh my god! That's Penny Marshall. Of course, it was. Yeah, yeah. And so, I she's technically the only other person outside of, uh, well, no, because she's only in two of them. Also, because she has a small cameo. You see her in New Year's Eve. Yeah, I don't believe she's in Valentine's Day. No. So, but this this ended up being both their last films. I mean, it's like it's so weird, right? Like, I mean, I. Uh, I mean, I, I know, like he uh, Gary Marshall suffered a stroke, so I don't think he was like ill when he made this, and so uh, um, it just like I don't, I don't think he made this movie thinking it'd be his last. No, um, definitely but not. But like, like, the, like he didn't retire, right? So I, it's just like it's so sad to me that like his career, which is like so long, so like prolific, so influential, so iconic just like ends with this movie that just like nobody really seems to like even people like you and me who are very much like love mainstream rented comedies even the bad ones like you know yeah i I really can't find much good to say except that like he was able to get this like great cast of like people that you know are really good doing this kind of stuff like jen aniston julia roberts kate hudson jane sudeikis like Britt robertson like they're good in this movie and like they give good performances and they're very exciting but to watch and to interact, but it's like, yeah, I just, the, I think it's somewhere along the way. It just like, it felt very sluggish and not it, thought out. Yeah. And what's weird too, is I, I think to your point, like, again, it was also, you know, four years later separated from new year's Eve or five years later, really. Cause it, oh, yeah, the development yeah. on this had started in 2013. So it took a long time for this one to get made. Whereas, the first two both kind of seem to come together very quickly, which, you know, in a way you can kind of feel, but at the same time it was, let's get all these fun people together and let them just kind of do their thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I don't really have much more to say about that mother's day, except that I mean, Julia Roberts hair is like kind of a crime against the poor woman. You know, she has yeah. that like weird, like bot or like pixie cut or something. It's like an awful color. It's this, uh, like, reddish color. I'm yeah. staring at the poster right now, and it's fucking terrifying. And I'm like, uh, you know, Gary, like, 
isn't she like like a, like a, a muse or like one of your favorite actors? Like, why are you doing this to her? Well, yeah, and they, they paid three million dollars for her to do four days of work on this movie. I that's mean, how much Gary wanted to have her. Yeah, and that's good for her, you know. But like that hair, man, is something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say about this movie. Like, I, you know, as someone who can probably defend any movie like this, I probably can't, you know, defend Mother's Day too much. So why don't we continue moving backwards and go with New Year's Eve, um, which is, I think, my favorite of the three. Um, it's, I think it's probably mine, too, uh, yeah. upon my rewatches of it. Um, I think a good portion of it, again, is the identity of the film taking place in the great city of New York, uh, a city I have very much reverence for. And it takes place obviously on New Year's Eve, 2011 going into 2012. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was thinking about this sort of like, you know, this movie being set in New York. I mean, they could have set it in LA and, you know, keep it in that same thing. But, um, I think it's like New Year's Eve to me feels like a New York holiday, maybe because of the ball drop. And like, yeah, I, I mean, some, sometimes I wonder if I'm like too like New York centric, you know, because I live here and it's like, of course, there are like other cities. But like, I, I don't know, I just feel like Times Square is just like synonymous with with New Year's Eve. And so I think that's why like New Year's Eve feels like such a like good New York movie in a lot of ways. Well, it does. And I think something that also goes a long way is that the other thing that New York can very be synony- uh, very synonymously tied with is Christmas time and just mm-hmm. winter in general, right? Yeah. Because you think of New York at that winter time and you're seeing the Rockettes and you see the tree in Rockefeller Center and you remember the lights in that area. And New York has a very specific feel at Christmas time. I mean, it's something that even Frank Capra or not Frank Capra, Francis Ford Coppola would, you know, invoke in the first Godfather because the the very pivotal moment of Michael finding out some very terrible truths is them walking around New York at Christmas time. Mm-hmm, right. <clears throat> um, so, you know, there's something to be said about I think that Gary Marshall, much like you and I, was like, if we do this movie, it has to be New York because there's nowhere else that you want to do a New Year's Eve based type film than the one city where the entirety of the world watches your ball drop. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, and um, and also, like, you know, New York City is a great city for just, like, people dealing with their problems, you know? Yes, like, absolutely. I, mean, I guess maybe that's just, like, the, you know, Neil Simon, Woody Allen kind of thing that, you know, where it's just, like, it's a good city for people to, like, really reckon with, you know their lives with their, their identity yeah yeah and i think yeah. that's i think that's what makes new year's eve such a good new york movie um and so i mean we can kind of go through like um each of the like main kind of plot lines here and just like talk them through um so i think one of my favorite things about new year's eve the film is hillary swank as like the um uh, she's like the new year's eve like alliance person like She's the one running the ball drop. She runs the ball drop, yeah. Hilary Swank, I think, is a pretty phenomenal actress. Um, and, like, I love what she does, kind of more mainstream movies, just because, like, it's just fun to see her, like, kind of have fun, you know? Cause you, yeah. I always associate her with, like, you know, her two Oscar-winning movies are very serious. And 
uh, depressing. So it's nice to see her like do something kind of fun and you know romantic like this. Yeah, and it was actually something I and this is such a random way to tie it all in, but like with the hunt coming out earlier this year, that was one where it was like her kind of putting her hair down and doing like this kind of grindhouse slocky action type thriller. Yeah. And in this movie, it's just fun to see her just kind of like letting her hair down, if you will, and having fun because you're not really used to it. And I actually think that her and Ludacris have like a really good repertoire on screen, which it goes a long way. And that's something that really matters for all these key sequences throughout these movies is the people that everyone's interacting with, because you really have to sell these relationships enough that you can buy into them because you never really get to know the characters in the same way that you would like a standard narrative film because every character only gets so much time on screen. Yeah. And that's what I like about her in this movie is that I like her so much and I like her banter and like her whole relationship really with one, the city, but with Chris and the way that it all plays out, it just works. And it's just it's fun, man. Like, it's just a really good you feel good watching it because you can tell she's having a good time doing it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's a great point about, like, seeing all these um, all these kind of different actors together. You know, like a, another kind of fun pairing is like Jessica Biel and Seth Meyers, who I would never think to put in a movie together. No. I don't think I've even seen them like interview, like seen her interviewed on his show. Like, I'm sure she must have. But like, I don't remember. But it's like. It's so weird to think of, and like Seth Meyers as an actor. I mean, has he that? That was what I was thinking while I was rewatching it because it like he did a couple of things on and yeah. off. But, like he really became known for doing Weekend Update because even on SNL when he started, he was an actor on it, and then he really he was never one of the great, you know, too uh, the too early for prime time. You, you know, yeah, he was never that person. The the that wasn't who he was. And that's why, like, even in this, it's weird to see him because I'll be honest, I think he's arguably one of the weaker parts of the movie. And I love Seth Meyers. Yeah. But he really can't act. And no. that's the thing is like, he's so good at being the guy who sits behind a desk and tells you the stuff that's going on. He's very funny, but he doesn't really act. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's weird to see him in this in a way. Um, yeah. And, I mean, yeah, that's totally true. I was just looking at his filmography and like, he's like in some stuff, but like mostly he does like, yeah. like kind of like comedic like character things that are like two scenes. But like, yeah, it's rare to see him like actually play a role and stuff. And yeah, I mean, he's he says Meyer, so like that goes a long way for me. But yeah, it's not. Yeah, I mean, when you have a you know a cast with these these many like great kind of movie actors, like he kind of sticks out. Um, but yeah, actually, and it's not yeah. a dig at him because I do like him, like you. I mean, he's yeah. Seth Meyers. It goes a long way just being Seth Meyers. He's yeah, yeah. the one late night talk show host I still watch like religiously. Same, yeah. Same so, uh, but I actually do enjoy that plot line too of like these two like these two expecting families having to like compete to see who's the first birth uh, in the new year, which is kind of it's kind of a fun, silly thing, and like. You know, Carla Gugino's there as kind of their, like, wacky doctor. And, oh, Sarah Paulson, you know, she's she's showing up, which is kind of exciting. Um, yeah. I, and I love that they're both competing for this, you know, $25,000 prize of who gets the first baby, you know, going into the new year and things like that. But yeah. it, it's, it's, it's so silly. 
and yet it definitely still works, even though, again, it's also arguably maybe the most least romantic comedy-ish yeah. part of the film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I like it all the same because I, I like most of the players involved in it. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, um, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, that's what, what I kind of like about, like, these two is that, like, even if, like, if not every plot line is, like, totally, like, romantic comedy, like, trope, but it's just, like, fun. I don't know, it's just, like, fun. And, like, it's just that they have these, like, that spirit to them of just, like, you know, all these actors are just, like, coming together to put on a show, and it's, like, it's so mainstream, it's so, like, on the surface, but, like, it's still, like, it totally, I mean, it works on me. <laughs> no, right, and it's, it, what's interesting, too, is that the hospital ends up being, like, a bigger part of the film, because in this whole sequence, there's also Robert De Niro, who's in the hospital, who's dying of cancer. Yeah. And, like, the duality of life and death on New Year's Eve is very interesting because it's easy to get wrapped up in the idea that, oh, there's one storyline just about the kids being born, but you also think, like, there's also life ending here on the same night. Yeah. And that's a very interesting play for a film like this. Especially when you think about, like, Hilary Swank's, you know, monologue um, in the film where she talks about New Year's Eve being both, like, looking ahead at the new year and, like, looking back. And uh, yes. I think, like, the way those two plot lines intersect at this hospital really make it, like, it's just, like, a level, level of, like, artfulness that you, like, really wouldn't expect, you know. But it's, it's really, like, took me by surprise to see how well they handled, you know, the Robert De Niro plot line, you know. And then, you, you know, Halle Berry's there as his, like, nurse and... Um, Carrie Ulysses is his doctor. Yeah, yeah, that's which fun. is always so funny and yeah. like kind of fun to see him there. And yeah, yeah. It just it really is to your point. Like it's there's a level of artfulness to it that I know it sounds silly, but like in a movie like this, you don't always see stuff like that. And I know that Gary Marshall gets ripped apart for being like this almost small. He wears his heart on his sleeve. Yeah, yeah and he's very schmaltzy and. Yet I think that he, similarly to what Spielberg has become, he really has he found his inner Frank Capra, and Frank Capra was very similar. You like making movies where it was just like very art, like putting your heart on your sleeve, and like yeah, it's maybe schmaltzy, and is it a little like could it give you diabetes while you watch it because it's so sweet? Yes, probably. And yet at the same time, I don't mind. Like it works for me. Hello, I'm. Claire Morgan of the Times Square Alliance, and as you all can see, the ball has stopped halfway to its perch. It's suspended there to remind us before we pop the champagne and celebrate the new year to stop and reflect on the year that has gone by, to remember both our triumphs and our missteps, our promises made and broken, the times we opened ourselves up to great adventures or closed ourselves down for fear of getting hurt. Because that's what New Year's is all about, getting another chance, a chance to forgive, to do better to do more, to give more, to love more. 
and stop worrying about what if and start embracing what will be. So when that ball drops at midnight, and it will drop, let's remember to be nice to each other, kind to each other, and not just tonight, but all year long. I mean, the thing is that, like, when I watch, you know, a movie like this, like, I know what I'm getting, and like, that's what I want, you know. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't need some like, um, I don't need anything more than what this movie is giving me, and I, and like, that's why, like, you know, I wanted to talk about these, these. I mean, I wanted to talk about this and Valentine's Day the most, just because I mean, they're the two best ones. But like, I just think like. There's room, I think, in our, like, cinema diet for these, you know, mainstream romantic comedies that even, like, might not have the best reputation because I think if you can really let yourself go and just, like, watch it and, like, take it in as it's being presented to you, then it really, like, can work really well. And, like, I mean, I think this hospital is, like, the best example of that in this movie, and I think that's, like, probably one of the reasons why I... um like prefer this one over Valentine's Day just a little bit because you just have this level of like sentimentality and um, uh, introspection in a way. I mean, all, I think in all these stories, there's a level of you know thinking more about yourself and your and like your as you were saying earlier, identity, your place in this world. I mean, if you look at Michelle Pfeiffer's plot line, yes. which is like also not quite romantic, even though there's like, I mean, I would say there's a little bit of tension there, but um, I think like in hers, like she's, you know, put upon secretary to um, John Lithgow. <laughs> yeah, what a, which a wonderful cameo. From wonderful John cameo. Lithgow. Yeah, he's hysterical. And like, I mean, God, how many bosses do we have? We all had just like that, which is like, totally in you know sees his employees as invisible props in his life but you know she's kind of reckoning with the fact that like she hasn't really lived the life that she wanted she's kind of a doormat kind of mousy and she takes new year's eve day to just live her life and check off all things she wanted to do and some of them are like cute like having you know breakfast at tiffany's is one and uh, another one is like um you know, walking the five boroughs and like she does all that. And it's just like, you know, and she's with Zach Efron, who's just like, you know, like he's like, he's like a puppy dog actor and then he's just very exciting to watch and very excitable and just like has love and energy always. So, um, and I, I really like them in this movie a lot. Yeah. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer's actually my favorite part of the film as Ingrid. I think that she is so it's because she's Michelle Pfeiffer, number one. Yeah. Like she's just one of the all time great actresses. Uh, she's someone I've always very much admired and someone I've always enjoyed watching, but she's so good in this. And you know, she's so good that from the moment she came on screen, I didn't really realize it was her. And that's what I liked. Like I, because she just kind of disappears when she really wants to. And I think she's so much fun fun in this movie and you really feel for her character where she's so been down upon because she's not going out and doing the things that she wants to be doing like she's slaved away at this job and now she just wants to live it's new year's eve it's going into a new year and she kind of wants to start off on this new foot because she almost gets hit by the cab at the beginning and she realizes her life could end at any moment right yeah 
And I think for a movie that really relies on, like, star power and just, like, audiences having familiarity with these actors, like, it's so impressive that, like, she disappears into her role and that, like, she, like, really commits to it. And, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, she, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is, like, I'm kind of glad that she's having this, like, resurgence, you know, with, like, you know, people just kind of hyping her up because she deserves it after such a long career with so many, you know, amazing films that she's been in. And, like, watching her in this movie, like, you're right. Like, I totally, like, I was like, oh, Michelle Pfeiffer, how exciting to, like, see her in, like, a big movie like this. And then, like, totally didn't even catch it. It was her. And I was like, wow, like, what a great performance. And it's, like, one of the sweeter stories, too, because, like, Zac Efron is so, like, it's, like, there's also a little mini arc for him there of, like, learning to, like, care about others and, like, see his world from, like, a larger perspective and just his own, like, myopic thing of, like, wanting to, like, go to, like, a cool party so yeah i mean definitely well, one of the best always, parts definitely and he you know again he's a great actor you know a lot of people don't realize just how good he can be yeah and yet he is man like every time i watch one of his films i'm always even more excited because i realize how far he's come from being high school musical and yeah. that's saying a lot like the dude has range and i think he and michelle are wonderful together in this yeah um yeah for sure and um uh i think that like another kind of fun pairing in this movie is um uh calvin heigl and john bon jovi what a weird pairing. What a weird pairing, but like it kind of works. Yeah, it's so bizarre. <laughs> and it's like John Bon Jovi is basically playing a version of himself without being himself, number one, which yeah. is already odd. Like, oh, you're literally playing a musician on New Year's Eve. Got it. Yeah. But actually, I think it works primarily because of her. You know, I mean, Catherine and I go like, um, the episode right before this, I did 27 Dresses, and oh, okay. Um, okay. and I didn't even realize that, you know, it's a Catherine Heigl double feature here on this podcast, but, um, but like, I feel like, uh, you know, I've, having watched that movie and, like, researched it, I really have a lot more respect for Catherine Heigl, and then, so with this movie, I'm like, yeah, she's really doing a lot, and, like, she's so good in this kind of role of just, like, being the, like, frustrated, like, girlfriend who's, like, trying to keep it all together, but is, like, falling apart and, like, wants to be swept away, but has her guard up. Like, it's such a fun role for her. And, like, I, I mean, I as weird as they're, you know, as weird as they are together, like, on paper, because, like, he's about, what, 15 years older, like, it just doesn't, like, their story doesn't really make any sense when you, like, look at it. I just can't imagine them, like, dating and, like, you know, but sure, I think they have kind of a fun chemistry and um they like i don't they make it work it's i think it's like a good plot line yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. like it's it's not it's not the weirdest plot line in these movies like going that far and i i actually like it quite a bit because i do think that there's like a very real there's a very real chemistry between them that works Uh um yeah when he when she sees him for the first time and she slaps him and then like later on she's like you know i'd rehearsed that for a while and it didn't go exactly how I thought, so I'm going to do it again. And she slaps him again. Like, she sells it. And yeah. I think that they're – but he sells it too. Like, they're they're both quite good. And I believe when he was like, I did everything that I could and then I got cold feet and I got scared. Yeah. And what like what a thing for 
him to kind of admit to. And actually, this is something that we'll kind of talk about when we get to Valentine's Day as well, is that I actually think that both of these movies play very well against the like very normal toxic masculinity type lead males that we're used to Mm, in romantic comedies because i think that between this and one of the characters in valentine's day that there is something to be said about these bigger uh bigger male presences that play against what a stereotype of them that we're used to like this bigger rock star who could have any woman in the world wants to be with one woman and he has cold feet and he doesn't know how to do it i think that's a great representation of doing something very different than you're used to yeah oh definitely for sure and uh, yeah i mean that like you know like that's why like i think that that's why new year's eve has such a like um like why it works so well is that like these like it's a kind of the like the fantasies that these like men can like talk about their feelings and like explore them and you know confront them and move past you know their negative feelings it's not like you know it's i don't yeah they're right there's really not much like toxic masculinity here if there is it's like easily not easily but like it is resolved in a way that you know, defeats that and makes them more empathetic and sympathetic. Right. Um, yeah. And I, also, the thing that I really love about this Catherine Heigl plotline is like, you know, Sofia Vergara and Russell Peters there as like her, you know, like in like the best friend roles. Like, yeah. they're just like colorful people and like they're fun. They like are like, they're just like good at doing these like comedy bits. It just like aligns it more and like makes it like, it makes it feel like there's an actual like, like little world going on in this story with, rather than just uh, being like um just like focus on like the couple like there's like an actual like supporting like it's like Catherine Heigl has her own little supporting cast and like they will go on to have like relationships after the movie ends and they had a past you know yes. so it's all just like it works so much better and like I mean a lot of these movies like I mean like we were saying with John Lithgow like by having these, like, competent, capable actors who are just, like, instantly able to, like, make a whole character out of, like, two minutes, it just, like, makes this, like... I mean, such a, like, weird thing to say about an ensemble movie, but it just, like, makes the, like, world feel more, like, populated because it's not just, like... Totally. Here, that's, like, 12 stories... I think that's part of the reason why, like, um, Mother's Day doesn't really work as well is because, like, there really isn't much going on outside of the frame. And, like, right. even, like, when they try it, you know, there are, like, some, like, characters here and there. Like, it just doesn't work as well as it does in New Year's Eve or Valentine's Day. I mean, even to your point, the James Belushi cameo towards the end of the film is wonderful for that very reason. Yeah. Because he so quickly slips into – because you kind of hear about his character throughout the movie um, from Ashton Kutcher and Leah Michelle throughout as they're yeah. stuck in the elevator. But when he finally shows up and he's like, oh, now you show up. Like, you know, and it's just like he's this kind of like bummish landlord type and yet he sells it. And yeah. you feel like this world – is now even more interesting because he's populated part of it, you know? And that's a thing that, um, I was actually talking about with Maxwell last night as I was revisiting Valentine's day is that even though the characters aren't necessarily as defined as you'd see in like a typical film, 
a good portion of it is because these actors are just so good. Like yeah. they, you like them and they just take what they have and they go, we can craft around this. And then you put a bunch of really great character actors throughout in different parts. And then it sells again, Hector Alonso. Uh, God, I'm going to keep saying his name wrong. Elizondo. Uh, Elizondo. Thank you. Yeah. Hector Elizondo. His little part is great. And he's so fun to watch. And now suddenly it's like, Oh, Hey, He's fun to be here. Yeah, and, like, especially because, like, much like the building super, like, the Hucker Elizondo character is, like, talked about. And then yeah. when he comes, it's, like, a big introduction. So you kind of, like, already know, like, this guy means business. Kaminsky. <laughs> yeah, like, What Kaminsky. a great character. Yeah, but, right. Like, it's so cheesy, and he, he essentially, the, the ball goes out, and they need to get someone to fix it. And he shows up, and I love the reveal that he has to find the one light that doesn't work in the ball. And, and she, um, Hillary Swank is like, we've never fixed that. Like in all the things that we can do with technology, the one thing we still can't do yeah. is be like, which light is the one that's not working to replace it. You have to check everyone. Which is like such a New York thing too, where it's like, you know, things just like, like thing. I mean, even like with their elevator, with the elevator breaking in the apartment building, like, Sometimes in New York, things just break. <laughs> There's yeah, really totally. nothing you could do except call some guy who has you know, immigrated from some country like 40 years ago and is like the only guy who can fix it. And then he's just like, just wait, you, know, you just got to wait and then wait for him to come. And he comes, he, he'll fix it in, you know, 20 minutes. And then there's that. So, yeah, I mean, that's another way this movie is much, very much a New York movie. Uh, well, you brought up, you know, Leah Michelle and Ashton Kutcher and the an apartment building. Uh, I think this is one story that didn't quite work for me as well as the others. I think because it's just so like they're kind of just like trapped in one space and like bickering never, a little. Yeah, yeah, and I never really buy their relationship by the time it's over. No, um, it, this is the only one that it could have gone any other direction. And I actually think a part of it is, and this is going to sound so silly, but in hindsight, it would have actually made a lot of sense, even though there's not a better way to have done it would have been that if that was Ashton Kutcher's character post Valentine's Day oh, and you find yeah. out <laughs> that Jennifer Garner and him didn't work. And so he left the city. Yeah, yeah. And so now he's like down on his luck and stuff like that. I mean, it could have been a, such an easy fix. Yeah. And I think it would have gone a long way to make me care more about whatever his plight is. Because to be honest with you, he's playing the antithesis of his character from the last one where yeah. in, the, in the Valentine's Day, he believes in love and he cares about love. And he, you know, he really believes in like the sanctity of this holiday in this one, his character, like he doesn't like new year's Eve. He doesn't really care about anything. Like he's just kind of a curmudgeon and that's not really who Ashton is. And it feels weird. Yeah. And then I could see him like wanting to do that, like complete opposite thing. If it were like, I, I mean, like, if in some way, like, Valentine's Day had, like, like, I can kind of see, like, an actor and director, like, working together twice and then, like, doing, like, something totally different the next time. But, like, sure, it just doesn't fit that because, A, like, this is almost exactly the same kind of movie as Valentine's Day. And it's, like, at the, like, the arc is just to, like, do that same, same arc from Valentine's Day, just, like a little snarkier this time around. So it doesn't quite work. And honestly, like, I don't really, I mean, I know this is like kind of like popular to say now, or like maybe cliche to say, but 
I really don't care for Leo Michelle that much as an actor. And I think that, like, you know, like, I'm sure she, like, I mean, Glee was, like, at its height at this time. So I'm sure she was, like, a major get for them. And, like, you know, of course they have her sing. But um, I just, like, didn't really buy them together. Like, I think the Ashton Kutcher's character might have worked better if he had, like, a different actor with him. Like, a, like someone like, like a Jennifer Garner type who could, like, or, like, a Zoe Deschanel, which is, like, someone who's yeah. just, like, totally, like, that manic pixie dream girl archetype. But I, I don't think Leah Michelle has that. So it just seems, like, two, yeah. like, I don't know, like, unlikable people kind of stuck together and then they decide to fall in love because, like, it's been an hour. Like, I, yeah, I guess, like, it would have been kind of cool if they just, like, maybe had that, like, spark, but then, like, didn't, but then, like, had to separate. Yeah. Like, they don't end up together. Yeah, it was a weird thing because, uh, to your point, I'm not the biggest fan of Leah Michelle. Yeah. Um, she's probably one of my least favorite people that came off of Glee. Um, yeah. Which is funny because, in all things being equal, she was also, like, one of my few choices to play um, – to be in like a live action version of wicked. Right. I mean, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Cause I think she'd be great in that role. Yet, yet at the same time, I really wouldn't want her to be there. Cause I don't really like her all that much. And so I think that's probably my bigger problem with this yeah. overall is in the story arc. Cause I just don't like her and you know, her being a backup singer for Bon Jovi's character is fine, but it doesn't feel consequential. And yeah. I don't, feel for her in the same way that I don't necessarily feel for Ashton in this movie, because I don't think there's anything for his character really. Like the only other thing is he might go to a party with Zac Efron's character. And why should that be a plight that I care about? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I definitely don't, I mean, the thing is like, I don't really understand like how she's a backup singer and then like gets, chosen off screen to like sing at midnight yeah like i mean like okay i can believe a lot with a movie like this like i can believe everything they 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 sell me you know in a movie like this because like i know like i'm just you know i want to take it and i want to like absorb it and i want to cry at the end and i'll have had a good time if i do that but like I just couldn't, I was like, if they had shown that, if they had shown, I would have loved to have seen Bon Jovi <laughs> tell you Michelle she can sing Old Lang Syne at Midnight. That would have been a great scene to see, because, like, it would have made it a little bit more believable that it's, like, actually happening, versus just, like, I have, like, a random, like, kind of cutaway. So, yeah, I just, like, didn't, yeah, I, I, I couldn't really care about her making her big thing, and then, like, yeah. her whole thing is, like, oh, I want to go on tour with him, which is fun, or which is fine, but then like he cancels the tour, so I'm like she's not going on tour with him then. Yeah, she gets to sing at New Year's Eve, and that's like pretty much the beginning and the end for now. Yeah, I guess. yeah, yeah. I I don't know, man. Like I, it's it's arguably my least favorite part of the film. Um, yeah. Outside of Seth Meyers, again, not that I don't like Seth Meyers. It's just he's probably a weaker actor in it um, altogether, and I, I just don't care about this storyline. And I think that kind of just leaves. Sarah Jessica Parker and Abigail Breslin and Josh Duhamel there and Josh Jamal. And that's all kind of tied together too. Um, each one of these movies has like the teenage love story also. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, Abigail Breslin's character, Haley trying to spend New Year's Eve with her friend, her friends and her boyfriend in seeing the ball drop is kind of whatever. 
Um, but I do like the relationship between her and her mother because there's something about the real tension between them, uh, that works very well. And of course, Sarah Jessica Parker being in this only makes sense because she's predominantly known as being like a very New York actress. Yeah. When you look at all of her sex in the city, uh, divorce and just in general, very much known for being prominent there. And of course, Matthew Broderick. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Matthew Broderick is they're married and he pops up in the movie too. Yeah, that was fun to see him and to be like, oh, wow, like your wife is running around <laughs> like uh-huh. right where you are, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, I really liked um, Sarah Jessica Parker, like both her storylines. Um, I agree that like the, the teenage, like the teenage rebel thing is whatever. Um, but like, I do like, yeah, they have a great relationship. And I like that it's like, because like, because she's like divorced, you know, they she has, like, a very, like, different kind of relationship with her daughter. Like, they're a little bit more, like, caustic with each other, a little bit more open. Uh, and it's, I mean, I like stories where, like, parents learn to, like, let their teenagers, like, rebel a little. Sure. And that, like, you know, to and to, like, so that they can, like, um, you know, taste that freedom and then not, like, go crazy right when... Right when they leave when home, you know. Right when they're let off the leash. Right. So and so, I kind of like that you know, the arc wasn't like, oh, you know, she was wrong to do it. Now she's going to get you know grounded or whatever. The arc was like, yeah, like you know, maybe she like shouldn't have like snuck off, but like you know, it's kind of okay. Like she's a you know a good girl. And then um, I personally did not see the twist coming with Serge Barker and Josh Dumal. I don't know. Is that was it obvious? Not really, because at the same time, you never really see them together. Yeah, except at the very end, yeah. And, like, she hardly mentions even, like, she she doesn't mention at all that, like, he was her mystery guy. In fact, I was thinking that Hilary Swank was the, was, like, the mystery girl in that, in that story. I I could see that. Um, And then, well, they kind of tease it because, like, towards the end, they're, like, um they're like running past each other and they kind of stop and you're, I'm thinking, Oh, okay. Like they're going to recognize each other, but then they don't. Um, yeah, I had, I did not see that coming and I should have, because I was also wondering like, like how was like Robert De Niro going to tie into everything? Right. Cause he, he and Halle Berry are kind of separate and even her right. like love interest is someone who's, you know, overseas, um, at war. So like, I was like, I knew there's some way that Rob De Niro has to like tie into someone else in this movie, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I like that. I like Josh Duhamel in the trailer, you know, talk, you know, talking to that family, and it's kind of fun, and like, it's, you know, it's like kind of cute to see like this family have this like random stranger who is like telling them this like very romantic story while like their like grandpa is being super creepy, <laughs> right? I and, and you know I I do like the De Niro stuff a lot actually in the end um and to your point the Halle Berry stuff I actually think Common's quite good in his one scene when you find oh my out God, that, that was Common oh my I didn't recognize him yeah and I like Common quite a bit I think he's quite a good actor and so it's yeah. fun to see him in this as well because it's such a small part but yet again he really sells it yeah and I I like that she doesn't really even leave the hospital she goes into another room to have this virtual date with her husband on new year's yeah and that line when he's like you know all the guys here are saying i'm missing out watching the ball drop but 
I get to watch you and oh, that like it's yeah right like I'm sitting here at like the hopeless romantic going my god that's so sweet I want someone to say that to me and I mean the shot of like there's a scene when she like is touching the screen to like touch his face and then it goes to like the white noise oh my god yeah. it broke my heart I mean it's such a great it's like I mean the I'm like, this is the Gary Marshall effect. Like, he can do this kind of stuff, and he's so good at it. And, like, that scene just, like, cut me. (laughs) Like, it was so, it was so rough. And And, and I think that's when I started, like, tearing up a little. (laughs) Sure, and it works. Because, again, it's to the point of, yes, these aren't necessarily, like, normal, fleshed-out characters. Yes, we hear that. And I know I'm going to keep bringing it up, because it's just something I hear all the time that I don't agree with. Yeah. You know, like, okay, I get it. I get that you feel that way, yet it still works because you like the actor. And that's the big point. Yeah, exactly. And um, I really feel like, you know, this movie, because it has the theme of, like, reflection and moving forward and you know past mistakes and hopes of future like i think it just like hits a little different because like you know with valentine's day the theme is like here's like every romantic comedy cliche and we're gonna just do them all in two hours but with new year's eve there's a little bit more of like a unifying theme there that's like like i mean like one of my favorite things about romantic comedies is like when like the main theme isn't like finding love but it's like something else and then like how you find love like and then like you know falling in love is sort of the reward for like achieving that arc or whatever yeah and i feel like new year's eve does that really well and it was kind of what we were talking about earlier with that uh the overlining theme of like the speech that she gives about you know new year's eve is a is great about looking in the past but also looking forward to the future yeah and so in this one also this idea that you know life ends on new year's but it also begins on new year's and how important that can be and it's not just the relationships and love it's bigger than that and i really really like that yeah yeah so i think yeah i mean i even like new year's eve it's probably a movie that would actually i might even like i rented it but i'm like i think i might buy it and like maybe watch it and like maybe not on new year's eve but like in december because it's like yeah it it's a, like a very Christmas nice movie. movie yeah it really is um and like i feel like we don't get a lot of movies that are about new year's eve like specifically you know like usually new year's eve kind of is like a scene in like a holiday like general winter holiday movie like you know, or like a movie might end on totally. New Year's Eve or something if they're like Christmas movies. But I like I kind of like that. Like this movie just starts, you know, New Year's Eve morning and ends like soon after midnight, and it's just it's about that feeling. It was like New Year's Eve is like it's kind of a holiday for ex- existential crisis because like you know things are ending, things are beginning, like everyone's reflecting, you know, resolutions, yeah. all that. Like it's kind of like the holiday for like a tailspin. <laughs> And, and you know we didn't even bring up that uh carla gugino shows up in this too yeah and nat wolf at one point shows up in this and i'm even gonna shout out ryan seacrest making fun of himself within yeah. the film made himself like little things like that go a long way on to the bigger point of it's not just about relationships and stuff like but also coming to terms with who you are because carla's whole arc with Seth Meyers and Jessica Biel with them trying to win the money and like they're trying so hard to win this money and yet she doesn't really want anything to do with it. She just wants to make sure that the birth of their child happens healthy. Yeah. And then when the kid is born, you know, Seth Meyers decides to make sure that he finds out at what time the 
the rival's kid is born, he says it's a minute later so that they get the money. And that like Carla looks at him and smiles because even Seth Meyers shows a little bit of growth in that moment. Yeah, oh, for sure. And I uh, like that. Yeah. And um, Cherry Jones is there as like, who, like she's yeah. Josh Dumal's mom, I think. And just yeah. like fun to see her, you know, for some reason I thought that was, um, I thought that was Carrie Fisher at first and I got really excited, but it wasn't. <laughs> It no, it's, it's not that it does. It's not, not that they look alike, but like, you know, you would. I, I guess like, yeah, they have that kind of like, you know, tough old broad cadence. <laughs> yeah, and again, you know, there is a quick shot at the same New Year's Eve party. You do see Penny Marshall, yeah, which is really great, uh, and uh, like in very much uh, keeping of her, she's kind of being sarcastic, and wh- I, I think she's asking for a drink or something, and she's like telling the guy, "Go, go, get me my stuff." Yeah. Like, yeah. So perfectly very Petty Marshall in the very right way. Yeah. Um, I liked that a lot. Like, again, it, it it's a good movie, man. Like, it, it makes me feel good. I enjoy watching it. I think that the storylines actually flow together really, really well oh, yeah, in definitely. the right way. Yeah. And it feels earned, in, which is why at the end I really like that you see that of all the people that this party, this, like, party you keep hearing about that Efron is going to go to. He finally goes, and he goes with Michelle Pfeiffer's character. And I love that. Like, that's how far they, both of them have come. And he's still trying to get her out of her shell. But, like, it's a sweet moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, this movie was written by uh, Catherine uh, Catherine Fugate. And um, I also, she also wrote Valentine's Day, but she didn't write Mother's Day, which I think is another reason why Mother's Day just feels so not a part of this trilogy. Yeah. Um, What's funny, too, about that, looking at her, she also wrote, uh, like the prince in me, which was super popular yep. around uh, the what just five or six years before that, which was huge for a certain generation of people, and it explains so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I haven't seen the prince in me, or um, but I remember that being like a big thing. But I remember that was like a direct thing of like Princess Diaries. Like it was like part of that trend yeah. of like you know princesses but for like girls who wear sneakers <laughs> yeah julia styles is the lead in it yeah and i've always liked her so you know it's fun to see her in that um but uh yeah valentine's day i mean unless you have any more thoughts on new year's eve but uh no i, I, I do recommend checking it out if you've definitely ever seen it. yeah for sure even on watching it in the middle of july i was crying and feeling very reflective <laughs> so. hey man it gave me something to be happy about right <laughs> yeah now, yeah know? Uh, it was a, yeah, great, great movie. Um, but Valentine's Day, I mean, as much as I think New Year's Eve is put like slightly better, I really enjoyed Valentine's Day. Um, I actually remember seeing it in theaters. Um, not, I don't think I saw it opening weekend, but I saw it like a little bit after like the real Valentine's Day, but the, it was packed, the theater. I, I remember that. And I remember like this movie just like tearing the house down. Like people just like ate it up and loved, yeah. like, especially all like the bits with, um, like, the major, like, comic bits, you know, with, like, Anne Hathaway and Queen Latifah. And, um, yeah, I mean, this movie just, like, really hit hard. And, like, I hadn't seen it since then. Um, it's streaming on Netflix currently. I really enjoyed it. And I thought that, like, like I said earlier, that it's kind of, like, every rom-com, like, cliche in one movie. But in some ways, it's, like, kind of nice because it's, like, it has, like, every kind of romantic comedy that you want. So it's, like, a one doesn't quite work, but another one will, and then 
it all just feels very much like, you know, fun oh, totally. and like sweet to watch and like makes kind of your heart flutter a little because it's like it's a very romantic movie. I mean, of course it is. It's Valentine's yeah. Day movie, but like it really succeeds at being that having that 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 vibe. Well, and for being the one that kicked it off, it's just, it feels so effortless because it's Gary Marshall. Again, yeah. like, you know, he's really coming in here to play. Uh, like you, I, I actually saw it opening weekend as well. I was dating someone at the time, and I went down to visit her in college. And I drove her, like, I drove down, I want to say, because at the time I was living in, like, the Sacramento area, so I drove down to Santa Rosa to get her. And like I spent the weekend down there, and we went to go see this movie, and it was romantic and wonderful, and That's like everything really you cute. could hope for. And <laughs> you know, of course, I I'm not I you know that relationship didn't last much longer after that because long distance is never easy. But like, so I've always had a connection to this movie in a way of being like, it's as romantic as advertised in a way. Like it, it worked for a little while, even like for us, yeah, in trying to do something special and nice and. I've always had a soft spot for it for that. But I, I also think, again, to what we've been talking about is a good portion of it goes to the casting. This I think the cast in this one is arguably as good as the cast in New Year's Eve. I like the one in New Year's Eve a little more because I yeah. like some of the other actors in it. But, you know, with this one, you had Jessica Alba, you have Bradley Cooper, Patrick Dempsey, Jamie Foxx, Topher Grace and Hathaway. Like good, good group of people, plus Julia Roberts and Emma Roberts in the same place. Yeah. And not playing relatives, which I found very refreshing. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and the two, the two Taylors, we can't forget them. Taylor Swift and Taylor Lautner. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I mean, Ashton Kutcher, I think, in this one is, just, like, he's, like, the central guy. I mean, this movie is a very clear ensemble, but, like, he's sort of, like, the center point that kind of a lot of these stories kind of bloom off of, you know. And um, I like him a lot in this because like he works better for me when he has his heart on the sleeve and is like, yes, kind of like gushy and like, sw- like swoony and stuff. And, um, I love, I mean, I like, I like him pairing. I like him paired with Jessica Alba because they're such a weird couple, but it actually works for their plot line. Cause in the beginning of the film, he proposes to her and she accepts, but you can tell like, this engagement is not going to turn into a wedding. Like, they're going to break up before they get married. Almost immediately you can tell that. And then, like, the rest of the day is him, like, um, either trying to, like, force this relationship into, like, happening um, and, like, progressing, but then or also just, like, being, like, feeling rejected and, like, defeated when yeah. she ultimately does break up with him. And... It's it's a good look for Ashton Kutcher because he can it come is. off very like arrogant sometimes or very like you know he's I think ar- of his like on that seventy show and two and a half men where it's just like he's good at that but like having him in this kind of like role just works better. Well, I, I've always liked him because, to your point, I was a big fan of that seventy show back Me in too. the day. I yeah. mean, I still I still find myself going damn Jackie in the way that he always says it because I always loved him in the role. Like he's so good. And so it was interesting when I saw it because it is a much more humanized version of any, at least at that point that we had really seen him playing. Um, because Ashton is a great dramatic actor when you ask him to be, Oh, for sure. Uh, if you guys have never seen the guardian with him and Kevin Costner, um, I, it's a great, great movie that Disney made 
probably almost a decade ago now, but like they're so good together in that movie. And him in this, though, again, he really is the focal point of the film. This is the only one of the three movies that has like a very central focal point, And it's him. Yeah. Every storyline revolves around him in some way, shape or form. Um, and I really love that he wants this relationship t- to work and everyone else around him is like, we really never saw it. Yeah. And the re- I love him and George Lopez together. That oh, sounds yeah. so weird, but their yeah, friendship yeah. is so good. But it's weird uh-huh. in that way that like most like coworker friendships are where it's like, you're only really friends because like you just happen to be hired at the same time. And like, right. you know, together, I mean, obviously, like, Ashton Kutcher owns a business, so I guess he hired Joe, you know, but it's, like, it's, a, it's like, pure happenstance when you make friends with your coworkers, and it's just, like, so it just, like, it works because you have that, like, camaraderie, you have that, like, thing of, like, we've all, like, we go through this every day, so we just, like, we became friends, so I like them a lot, and, like, George Lopez, I think, is someone else that, like, doesn't get enough credit for, like, being just, like, really good, like, at this kind of thing, like, He's so he has such a like empathetic vibe to him that I mean like I watched George Lopez show like pretty much all the time when I was like in middle school high school like it was one of those shows that just like was like on like the like lineup for like TBS or TNT or whatever Nick at Night and so it just like I just like watched it because it was on and then I enjoyed it and so it was like really great to see him in this in this movie again. Because, yeah, he's really good. They have good chemistry, and, like, I love the bit about, like, I never had an inkling before. <laughs> it was such a fun, like, exchange. Um, yeah, just... Yeah, really it, it yeah. just works. And, again, yeah. to your point, like, Lopez very rarely gets to play empathetic, yeah. and I think that's why I like it so much, is that he he's actually quite good being that guy. Like, you do believe it. You really care that he cares the way he does. Yeah. And I think that that's really very cool. And I like Jessica Alba a lot, too, because, I I mean, I've been in the situation where he is where you come home and the person that you're with is like, you know, I'm leaving. And I I hate and love that sequence because it feels very real in a way. Yeah. uh, For someone who's been through the, you didn't do anything wrong, but I'm also still leaving. Well, it's like they were in, it's like, it's that feeling of like you're in a totally different relationship than your partner is. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's so hard to watch because like, it's, yeah, you're right. It's so real. Like we've all been there. Like I've been there. You've been there. Like it's such a like thing where it's like, you know, it's hard to know someone else and to know what they're thinking and feeling in their hearts. And even, I mean, I'm sure even Jessica Alba like tried with every fiber of her being to make this relationship work. But then once it became, like, you know, heading towards marriage, then, you know, it's, it's like, then, then she knew it's, it was time to, time to leave it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Jessica Alba, like, I feel like she kind of, like, was acting at a time when, like, a woman who looked like her just, like, wasn't taken seriously. And so I feel like if she, like, were, like, working as an actress now, like, I think she would be able to, like, find, like, a good role that would, like, uh, flesh out, you know, her strengths. Because I think she's good in comedy. I she think she is. can be very, like, charismatic. And, like, I really would love to see... I think now she's just, like, running, like, a like a lifestyle she's, company. She's in that Bad Boys TV spinoff that's on 
Dish Network or whatever. Like they have their own channel and it's called LA's Finest okay. with her and Gabrielle Union. Oh, okay, so, that's awesome. Yeah, so she is – she's doing something. And, of course, I mean, she was also in both of the Machete films that Robert Rodriguez did. And, yeah. you know, Rodriguez actually worked for quite a bit because he put her in Boston City films also. And then he put her in Spy Kids 4. And, you know, they had a pretty good working relationship for a while. So I, I think that she's, all, she's very much due kind of a comeback if she wants it. Yeah. Um, it's really up to her if she does because I think she's actually been quite good for a long time. I mean – I even have a soft spot for those first two Fantastic Four movies because yeah. I think that the cast is so good. Yeah, yeah, it's a great cast, I and mean, she was um, she was excellent. I thought as Sue Storm. Yeah, Sue Storm. Uh, Easter Gardens Restaurant. Good evening. Hi, Allison. Are you okay? Excuse me. Excuse me. Okay, sir. Wait. Well, my name is Julia, and I'm going to be your server tonight. Why don't I get started with a few specials? Yes, please. Tonight, the chef is featuring a dish that he likes to call the lying, stinking pig. You're, you're kidding. You're kidding. How is that good? He starts by cutting off the pig's testicles, and he chops them up really finely, teeny tiny pieces. And then he takes those testicles, and he, he pulverizes them and adds in a little arugula, some sage, um, feta cheese, and shoves the mixture back up. The pig's, for lack of a better word, ass. Really? Yeah. Then he cuts out the heart, the cold, useless, tiny little heart. Then uh, fillets it on either side, and it's a nice amuse bouche. Uh, Love the salmon. Good choice. For you, sir? I'm I'm not. I I, I don't don't know. Oh, just so you know, the um, heart of the pig. A little something like this. Did we get a toy? Maybe I'll give you a little time to juggle the choices. You know, putting, like, Jennifer Garner with Ashton Kutcher, like, I mean, that's, a, that's another great pairing because, like, he can be sarcastic when she's just, like, I mean, he calls her, like, sunshine in the movie, right? And I'm yeah. like, that's such a perfect way to describe her, like... <laughs> oh, totally. Like, yeah, you can just... Um, I mean, I I mean, Jennifer Garner, like, I've talked about her a lot on this podcast. Um, you know, I did 13 Going on 30 and Girl, Girls to Girlfriends Past. And so, um, you know, like, she's a major favorite. Like, I just watched Alias, totally. which is on Amazon Prime. Dude, Ghost to Girlfriends Past is severely underappreciated, oh, by the way. I totally agree. Yeah, like, I did that episode with Marcello on our Talkful Society Patreon, and uh, I'm you know I I need to bother him to like release those again to like the main feed because like uh, that was a great episode and like he like he actually convinced me to like that movie more than I thought that I did. I I have a big soft spot for it. Yeah. Uh, not to totally derail this, but no, like because you know how much I love Christmas time too, yeah. and so like to take the Christmas Carol concept and turn it into like a romantic comedy with Matthew McConaughey and Jennifer Garner, and you have Michael fucking Douglas. <laughs> like it, it's hard not to like it, and even um, Brecken Meyer, who's really quite good in that movie. I've been it before she was like a major star. Yeah, so it's a fun movie. If you've never seen it, I recommend it. Yeah. And uh, to go back to this, like Garner's so good in this, and her, the other pairing of 
her and Patrick Dempsey, where we were still doing the Patrick Dempsey is an asshole on film tour of the like early 2010s. It works because, you know, right around the same time, he also did Transformers three and he's like one of the main villains in that. And then he's in this like he's he's really good at being sleazy, as funny as that is. Yeah. Well, he's also in this movie Maid of Honor with uh, Michelle Monaghan. And like he's. I mean, he's the lead in that, and, like, he's not supposed to be sleazy, but, like, he's kind of, like, he's, like, sleazy, but, like, learns not to be sleazy in that movie, and, like, right. I mean, it's so funny, like, he and Eric Dane are both in this movie, and they're both, like, the, like, Grey's Anatomy hotties. Right. And, like, um, watching this movie just, like, really took me back to, like, that era of pop culture, right? Because, like, none of we had these two guys, and we had, like, Taylor Swift and Taylor Lautner, like, remember when they we were, were like, dating. a thing? Yeah, like... Right. And, like, I mean, there's so many jokes in this movie that felt so 2008, 2010 era. <laughs> like, it, they were all very aimed at, yeah. like, that very specific audience. Because, yeah. you know, people are going to watch it now, and unless you grew up the way we did in that time, and you saw that, it's kind of funny that you look at it, and it's like, wow. Like, the Eric Jane and Patrick Dempsey thing is such a calculated move to be like, these two are on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, yeah. Especially you know because, what I mean? yeah. Like, Eric Dane being, like, shirtless for, like, a good portion of his scenes, like... Yeah. I mean, because I, I... Like, he was McSteamy, right? Like, that was his thing. Yeah. Like, he was, like... Like, Patrick Dempsey was, like, the, like, main romantic one that you, like, swooned over. And then, like, Eric Dane was the one that you, like, thirsted over before, like, thirst was, like, a common phrase. Like, he was the sexy one. So, like, oh, totally. it's so calculated. And then, like... um in the same way of having Topher and Ashton in a movie together. Yeah, and Even exactly. though they never share the screen, it was a That 70s Show reunion. Yeah, like, of course, like, a lot of the actors don't even share a screen, but, like, just, like, having their names together on the poster and, like, having their names together, like, in the credits, like, that's what, like, got people excited. And, like, I mean, this movie definitely feels like a time capsule of, like, that very specific time in pop culture, which... It's, like, weird to feel nostalgic over, like, 2010 because it still feels like yesterday. Yeah, totally. But, like, definitely, yeah, you definitely feel like, wow, like, this was, like... I mean, I had the same feeling watching this movie that I did watching, like, Hustlers because, like, Hustlers also, like, is of this, like, same time. I mean, Hustlers a little bit before this, but, like, it's that same, like, kind of, like, mid-2000s era with this, this, like, you know, the the music in the background, the, like, actors in it, like... The references, like it all just feels very much like of this time. You just like I yeah, I was really hit by nostalgia watching this movie. And um, I just realized like later Jessica Beale and Bradley Cooper would co star together in like the A team, which yeah, were, or yeah. right around the same time, like or a year later. Like what a weird thing, man. I wow. Actually I think the A team was like summer of two thousand ten. Oh yeah, it was. So, so same was year just, they were yeah, together just again. A couple after this. Yeah, I mean it's so weird. Um yeah, like, going back to, like, the, like, Jennifer Garner's, like, arc in this movie, like, you know, she gets to do, like, I think two of, like, the main, like, main verbant comedy, like, tropes, which is, like, you know, affair with a married guy and then falling in love with your best friend. Yep. And, and of like, course, you know, not knowing married guy was married. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting because, like, I would say hers is the most, like, conventional rom-com, like, storyline, because, like, they play the, like, friends to, you know, lovers thing, like, almost, like, A to B to C, like, in the way that it's structured, because it's exactly how you would, like, 
it's like textbook, but like it works so well because of their chemistry, the writing, the directing, and just like how like infectious Jennifer Garner's energy is, you know, when she's just like, and how good she is at playing these like emotions, you know, like, I mean, Alias, I think is so like effective because like she's playing so many different things in like the same scene and like here, like the scene at the, um, at the airport when he's, um, Ashton Kutcher is trying to stop her from like trying to find her boyfriend because, you know, he's telling her that he's married like it's so effectively done and just like the um and just the planning of it too is so elegant you know like mm-hmm. patrick dempsey going to you know buy flowers and like um because ashley kutcher owns a flower like a florist shop and it's just like so artfully done and that that whole that whole again because he's the focal point i love that all these characters really interact with Kutcher's character in yeah. one way or another somehow because yeah. he owns this one floral shop and he, it's like the one focal point of the seer in this whole film. And yeah. I kind of love that. Like it's so simple and yet it works. I love the idea of it being a florist shop because like Valentine's day is such a flowers holiday and it just makes so much sense. And then like having that little boy, you know, like um, Jennifer Garner student, like go buy flowers for her. And it's just like, it just yeah, it works. This movie works really well, I think, in that in that way. It's so like, you know, Catherine Fugate. You know, I mean, I, she hasn't really done much since, but I think her screenwriting here is so like, she knows exactly what she's doing, and that she's hitting all these like rom com tropes, and then but doing them in such an elegant way, and like making sure like every little kind of, like every little like piece of the puzzle like fits, you know, right. everyone kind of meets everyone at the right time and it, it all works out. Well, I mean, even to the point, like we don't see a lot of movies that actually have to do with, uh, older people in love. Either, yeah. Right. You know, we don't see a ton of that. It's not a very well-worn, uh, subgenre anymore yeah. and like so the situ the whole sequence between Shirley MacLaine and Hector along, um, Elizondo again being in this film is really kind of sweet in a way uh heartbreaking also because you know there there's this whole thing where it's like they've been together this whole time and he loves her so much and obviously she loves him too but also that she had slipped up and cheated on him And like the realization and that revelation is actually handled, you know, kind of beautifully in a very interesting way. And like, I, I actually like that quite a bit and I like his whole relationship with Topher Grace when they meet later. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, as we were saying with, um, New Year's Eve, that like life and death thing, like in this movie, it's like, you know, there's, they're both advising, they're, they're, Shirley McLean and Hector Elizondo are advising, like, two young couples in, like, two stages of relationships. You know, when you have, like, um, they're talking to Emma Roberts about, you know, like... Losing your virginity. Losing your virginity and stuff and, like, you know, planning, you know, planning these, like, magical moments. And then Hector Elizondo is also talking to Topher Grace about, like, accepting, you know, your partner for all they are. And, again, it's, like, this whole thing of, like, the dichotomy of, like, old versus young and, you know, um, new relationships over versus, like, ones that have been established for so long. And, like, I like both the Emma Roberts and the Topher Grace plot lines a lot. Um, The Grace one is actually one of my favorites because I think him and Anne Hathaway are very good together. Oh, my God. They're, like, 
I could honestly like watch watch their storyline as its own movie. Totally, uh-huh, man. Because like I think they have such a fun chemistry, and like it's also like one of the few ones that are like a like very like kind of standard like dating dating story of like people in like our age group. I mean, you right. know, like just met, they just started dating. They're like just two young professionals who are like at the bottom of the you know corporate ladder, just trying to like make it work. And um, you know, I. I love, yeah, I really like their storyline a lot. And I like that, like, you know, Anne Hathaway is like, you know, she's a, she moonlights as like a phone sex operator. And like, she's so funny too, like, doing this, like, like, dirty talk and these accents, but also like looking totally bored. Yeah. And again, <laughs> it's so like, funny. her and Gary Marshall have worked together so well in the yeah. time that they did work together. Cause I mean, of course, in a way, Gary Marshall kind of put, helped put her on the map thanks to Princess, Princess Diary. Yeah. So, you know, for them to come together in this was kind of sweet because it yeah. was like, hey, we get to be together again. And, of course, you know, Hector was in all of those as well. So, um, yeah. And yeah. I really liked that, man. Like, it's a great relationship. And she's so good. To your point, she's so good at being like everything she says when she's on the phone. It sounds so, like, risque and sexy and weird. And yet she looks so bored. Because she <laughs> yeah. doesn't want to be doing it. And, you know, but the real truth of it, too, is like people like her who went to college and are like so indebted to these colleges that it's what do you do to get out of it? Yeah. And so I really like because it feels real. I mean, this is right way. after the, you know, the financial crisis in 2008. Yeah. So yeah, I'm exactly. sure whatever degree she graduated with, like, there's no jobs there for her. And, like, she has to do it. And I like that, you know, she just... I think this movie, like, kind of handles, like, the sex work, like, pretty well. I mean, well enough, I think, for a movie like this. Um, you know, of course, Gary Marshall, you know, he did sex work in Pretty Woman. Um, yep. And that was also, like, a more, like, sympathetic thing. And here, like, Anne Hathaway is like, I'm not going to apologize for doing it. I apologize for, like... You know, she apologizes, I guess, for, like, leaving him at the table and for, I guess, lying or whatever. But, like, you know, not for doing it. And I, like, I, I kind of like that. And um, I think Topher Grace is pretty good as, like, you know, kind of the self-righteous, you know, Midwestern guy. Totally. And, he, you know, he's trying to protect her. And, yeah. like, yeah, she, at the same time, she doesn't necessarily need protecting Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, he cares about her so much. And, like, I really love like that whole situation with them yeah. because it, you really do believe that he just wants to take care of her. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's like condescending, which I like. Yeah. I mean, it's a good right. arc for him. Right. It's a very good arc for him. And in the end, it's like, he realizes it's not about being condescending. It's about like both sides being together in this one place. And I really yeah. like that. Like, yeah, oh, it's so good. And, um, I mean, to your point with pretty woman, of course, is that, we have Julia Roberts in this. Yeah. Uh, and Julia Roberts arc, uh, being on this plane where she's coming back, she's in the military, she's with Bradley Cooper, um, on the plane and they kind of have this fun relationship and you think that she's just trying to get back for a few hours to see someone, some guy, yeah, some guy. And I love that. It turns out it's not, I love that. It's, she's a mom. Yeah. It's so simple because this that's really her whole arc. There's not a lot more to that situation. And yeah, I love yeah. that. I love their chemistry, you know, Bradley Cooper and Julia Roberts. Yep. Like, 
they're just so natural together, even though they're just sitting on a plane just chatting, but they're so good. Like, they have a lot of great bits. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, Bradley Cooper is someone else that, like, I mean, I love to see in a movie like this because, like, he's very charming and, you know, of course he's good at romance, but, you know, with Silver Linings Playbook and A Star is Born, but, like, again, just, like, seeing him just, like, kind of have fun with Julia Roberts, like, how great is that? Yo, it's part of the reason I've always liked the A-Team so much because yeah. I love – he's having so much fun in that movie, yeah, and I know that yeah. fun is a trigger word for people, but, like, the dude is so talented that when he kind of just lets go to just have a good time, yeah. it's fun to watch. And this is one of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit, again, to the point of what we were talking about with New Year's Eve and the idea of, you know, one of the major, like, male characters not necessarily being the prototypical male character – what I love about this is the reveal that not only is Bradley Cooper gay, but that Eric Dane's football player, masculine football player, comes out as gay, but then also is like, I'm still going to play football. I'm just going to be me. Yeah. Something that I've been hiding from the world. And he's literally the most masculine person in the movie. Yeah. And yet it's so like plays against everything that people are so used to seeing because of how gays have been per- like always perpetrated in the media. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like this big, hulking, hot dude. Like, I, 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 look, he's he's great to look at. And I, I like, I was married. I'm very straight. And I'm like, dude is hot. I mean, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and at the same time, it's also like, I love the reveal because it plays against everything that we have, we in the media have let that kind of become to this point. And it works because it's like very natural. And you're like, oh. That explains so much about why he's been so upset. He yeah. hasn't been himself. Yeah. And I love that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely. And, um, you know, um, Eric Dane's, like, working with Jessica Biel, as, who's his uh, publicist. And, like, she's pretty... Like, Jessica Biel is, like... Um, I think she's, like, really good in this movie. Like, she's very, like, has that, like, fun, neurotic, kind of crazed energy. Yes. Um, and, like, I was just thinking it's too bad she's, like, crazy in real life with her anti-vax thing, because I was, like, really appreciating her as an actor in this movie, being like, man, I wish I would see her more, but whatever, she's on her crazy train um, with, with I, Justin Timberlake. I, I just, I, yeah. I can't believe that they believe that stuff, and yeah. it really breaks my heart, because... I, I was waiting for them a, as a couple, you know, I like that I, together. I, I was too, but I also am... Especially right now, with literally everything going on, the yeah. last thing I want to do is support someone who is going to be a anti-vaxxer or anti-anything because yeah. I think it's so fucking dangerous. So stupid, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, and like I liked um, that I liked Jessica Biel in this with Jamie Foxx. Like, I think that's a fun pairing, and especially like her like anti-Valentine's Day party was something I would totally go to. Um, oh, totally. And, uh, oh, and that has a great scene of Jennifer Garner, like, beating up the pinata, which is, like, amazing. And, again, that's a, it's another way, like, that all these characters, just, like, intersect with each other. Like, it would take so much time for us to go through and, like, how each character is connected to another one. But, like, everything just kind of, like, connects in this way. Like, um, and it's just so, like, yeah, it's just so precisely, you know, executed. Um, because, like, there's no... There's no, like, uh, open loop there. Everything's kind of neat and tidy. Yo, and absolutely. And I think yeah. that that's part of the, um, 
one of the things I like so much about it. Yeah. Is that it does feel that way. And I mean, even like the stuff of Queen Latifah, which is oh really God, funny. So funny. And it, it, everything is just tied together very neatly in the right way where everyone somehow interacts with everyone because of each situation. Like Jamie Foxx's character being somehow involved because he want, he's a sports reporter and he wants to get in on whatever Sean Jackson's announcement's going to be. Yeah. And so his relationship with Jessica Biel is very interesting in that regard, in the way that it's like, oh, they kind of come together at the end. That's yeah, kind of yeah, you know, like stuff like that. That that's how this whole movie kind of feels, yeah. and I like it for that, man. Like it, it's so simple and yet so effective. I was just kind of like, I guess, like in the mood for this kind of movie when I was watching this. I mean, I'm always in the mood for like a good romantic comedy, and I. I just felt like this one just, like, really exceeded my my memory of it. Like, I remember, like, enjoying it, you know, back when I saw it. But, you know, like, since then, like, neither of these movies have, has, like, a good reputation. You know, even among, like, romantic comedy people like you and me. Um, right. So I was kind of, like, maybe, I was, like, maybe, like, is it even, like, worth it to do a whole episode on these movies? Like, I kind of, I was, like, I don't want to be, like, ironic about it, like, or drag them. But then, like, watching, like... Especially Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve, I was like, man, these movies are actually like pretty fun and pretty good. And like, I think like I'm not the biggest Love Actually fan, uh, but I actually feel like this these movies like like are almost a little better because I don't really know of anything that's just like like I don't think these movies are like excessively problematic. Although like um, the racial stuff against Indians, both in yeah in Mother's Day, is really weird because it's like. I get what they're going for, and, like, I can appreciate it, but it's just, like, it's a weird thing to do. And then, like, in Valentine's Day, um, like... This, Saying that they're going to set her up later in life. Yeah, that's... I mean, it's, like, whatever. It's, like, a... I, it's it's I, a dumb I, joke that a lot of Americans make about Indians, that it's, like... It doesn't offend me. I'm just, like, eye-roll, like, you know... I, I was a little caught off guard by that, yeah. in a way, because... It's like, especially even by 2010, we should have been better than that. But I mean, yeah. as we're as we found out this year, I mean, 10 years later is that we have not been better right. than that. I mean, that's like, that's a sad part is that like, it's almost like quaint and like that. That's the extent of the racism of this movie is just like a weird right. marriage joke. Well, the other thing is that um, they keep calling that little girl Rainy, but actually her name is pronounced Ronnie. And, oh, and like, it was just, and even, like, I was like, I mean, these Indian actors should know. They Like, I don't think Gary Marshall's had had to be, like, a dictator on set. Like, I'm sure if they had said, like, hey, that's not how you pronounce the name, but just, like, oh, God, it was just so, I mean, whatever. It was just, like, that doesn't, honestly, like, it doesn't harm the movie for me. I don't even consider that problematic. I think it's just, like, you know, dumb jokes that comedy writers think of, you know, about Indians and, like, whatever. Um, it's more, like, stupid and cliche than offensive, in my opinion. Um, no, totally, man. But, like, yeah, other than that, I don't think there's much, like... I think this movie's, like, kind of... They're dated, but, like, kind of in, like, a cute, nostalgic way, you know? Yeah, no, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I yeah. mean, because even to a point, like, I would say one of the the things with the George Lopez character, and I was actually happy to see it, as weird as it sounds, is... I they didn't really stereotype him too heavily. Like I was afraid in that way that we were, you know, in the same way we were just kind of talking about with the Indian perspective for you in the way that we've 
naturally, unfortunately handled Hispanic actors. And, you know, we didn't, they didn't do any of that with him very much, which was actually kind of nice. It was refreshing in a way. Yeah. Um, and I thought that as we watched New Year's Eve, like it really avoided doing anything like that as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll, as weird as it sounds, like having Ludacris is like a prominent member of the NYPD is a very interesting choice. Yeah. Um, you know, say what you will about the police state, obviously, right now. But at the time, even looking at it then, it was like, oh, that's interesting because we were so used to it being not that way. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like now, like, you know, whenever they show police officers who are people of color or black, it always seems like a pointed thing. And right. I was like, oh, wow, like, it's kind of nostalgic for the era when, like, it wasn't like that. Right, exactly. Um, so yeah. it was just very interesting. And I caught that and I was like, huh, interesting. Although I will say, I, I don't necessarily, there was a shot, I don't know if you caught it, when the, after the ball dropped and everyone starts kissing in Times Square, some of the cops were kissing some of the people that were in Times Square. And I was like, that's a little, yeah, yeah. It felt very much like that, um, (sighs) that like famous soldier kissing some, like, you know, and it's like, yeah, that was weird. Um, because definitely some of the kissing that was not a hundred percent (laughs) consensual. Yeah. I definitely got a little uncomfortable with that, but I mean, other than that, like I, I was happy to say that neither of the movies was overtly problematic in a way that I, could have gone back and been like, oh God. At least not in the way that like I find Love Actually to be like sometimes right. re- reprehensible. And and look, I like Love Actually a lot because yeah, I'm a big sure. Curtis. Like but yeah. it also in the same way that I really love yesterday. Um no, and yet too. yesterday is also semi problematic in its own ways. Yeah, yeah. Um and again it's a it's a Richard Curtis thing. I, I'm a big fan also of the boat that rocked, which was released here as Pirate Radio and is the American cut is a mess, but like the original British cut is fantastic. And yet at the same time, again, semi-problematic in the way that it handles things. Yeah. And it's like, uh, oh, maybe this is not always OK. But at the same time, it's like, how do you separate that from that's a whole nother conversation at the end of the day. But yeah, I still. Yeah. <laughs> but I was glad we watched these and I was glad to have so much fun in like revisiting them and not being offended or worried that like when it was over being like, am I allowed to admit that I like these because maybe I shouldn't. And at the same time, maybe we, you and I shouldn't be like, we don't, you know, the internet loves to hate on these movies. Again, even in romantic comedy circles, these movies are not like well looked upon. And yet I just had the best time revisiting them in a way that I was not. Me too. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, like I really, I mean, mother's day notwithstanding, like I really think these are like, I really hope that, like, there's some kind of resurgence for them, because I think they, like, you know, it's like, I always feel like romantic comedies need to be, like, held to the standard of themselves. Right. And I think that, like, these movies being these, like, you know, mainstream commercial ensemble comedies that rely on star power and sort of hitting those, like, beats, you know, I think these movies do that really well, and I think it'd be so easy for these movies to do it poorly, but, like, I think that a lot of care went into it. I mean, Gary Marshall, like, you know, he's a pro at this. Like, he knows what, he knows how to do this. And, like, um, it's so, I mean, it's sad that, you know, we lost him so soon. And, and so, so sudden. So suddenly. And, like, I, um, I really felt his loss, you know, when he passed away. Even though, like, I haven't seen every movie he's he had made. And, 
you know, uh, but like, you know, Princess Diaries, When I Bride, like, those are movies that I grew up with, and like, I love them, and I was really glad to, like, rewatch Valentine's Day, and especially New Year's Eve. Um, I think they're both, like, they're, I think they're both worth a second and third look, and I definitely will be adding them to my, like, rom-com rotation for when I want to feel just, like, when I want to just, like, cry because Jennifer Garner is crying on screen, you know? Like, when you want just, that feeling, yeah. Yeah, or just, like, especially right now, like, the world sucks, man. Yeah. Like, we, you know, you and I were talking about it before we got on. We've both been stuck in quarantine for four months. Like, yeah. I had not been able to travel. I've been staying inside. I can't go to the gym. Like I can't do a lot of the stuff that I would normally do. And so sometimes it's just nice to put something on like this, uh, in the same way that I'm also a huge fan of Zach Braff. So I find myself going back to garden state and the last kiss and wish I was here pretty frequently in a rotation because in their own way, they're their own like unofficial trilogy. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. So, you know, there's something to be said about adding this to your, little potential list of anything of romantic comedy list like you have in your rotation i think there's nothing wrong with that there's something really sweet about that because it makes you feel good if you want to feel good and you know maybe cry a little bit why not put it on yeah exactly and um that is a wonderful place to end pj thank you so much where can people find you online what are you working on these days well, number one, uh, thank you again for having me, Manish. I, I, you know how much I wanted to be here, and it was just like the absolute best time getting able to geek out with you about a rom com because yeah. I just enjoy talking with you. Yeah, um, same here. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram over at PJ underscore Campbell. You can find me almost every other night over at the PJ Campbell Network over on YouTube. I am over there with Maxwell Haddad and some of our friends, and we do movie watch-alongs. Max and I do a show every other week called Front Center Mezzanine where we talk to people in the Broadway community. Uh, Actually, after I jump off this, I'm going to be doing an interview with Joe Iconis, which I am super excited about. Uh, I, I love Joe Iconis. He is arguably one of the most talented and interesting people in the theater space right now. So I cannot wait to talk with him. Um, we do family game nights every Saturday. We do uh, the PJ Campbell show, which is usually on Sundays this weekend or it was this last weekend. I think when you're listening to this, we did a psych episode bracket and I'm a huge fan of psych. Psych is coming back for the second film and I'm just I don't know if I can even talk about it. I've already gotten to see it and I just love this world and these characters so much. And it was just really nice to be back with them. So um, I'm very excited to talk about psych all week with everyone. We're doing a psych watch along on Friday of the first film and this upcoming Friday for the second film. So, you know, just it, come and find me. And of course, I'm also the head writer of the Movie Trivia Schmodown. If you've never seen it, you can find it over on YouTube on the SEN page. Movie Trivia Schmodown is basically movie trivia Jeopardy type style mixed with wrestling. So big over the top personalities in a movie trivia show. Come hang out with us. We have a great time. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Manish 89 That's T-H-E-M-A-N-I-S-H-8-9. Also, uh, you can find my writing pretty much in a few different places. Um, and uh, also follow the podcast at It Hot To Be You on Twitter. And you know, check out my other podcast with uh, Dave Giannini, um, Queer Now, which is about queer cinema. Um, yeah, and you know, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, help people find the show. 
Yeah, PJ, thanks again. This is so much fun. When I thought about doing this episode, I was like, you're the first person I want to do it with just because like, I know how much you love the genre. And I, I was like, I know you would have a great perspective on these movies. So I'm really, really glad that we got, we got to do this. Dude, me too. Again, like, I, I can't think of a better person to sit down and do this stuff with because like you and I together just love rom-coms. And yeah. if you guys haven't listened to the Hitch commentary with him and you, my, yeah. like, you have to, like Maxwell, Benicia, and I had the fucking best time talking about Hitch and I want everyone to enjoy it as much as we do like that is arguably the best thing that's come out of this quarantine is us being able to talk about Hitch (laughs) until tonight (laughs) yeah until tonight um yeah, and listeners, thanks so much for listening. I this is a very super sized episode, but uh, hope you guys enjoyed it and have a great week. Thanks. The best luck I had was you And I know one thing That I love you